Welcome to Know Your Foe on Colts.com, an in-depth look at the upcoming matchup. Here are your hosts, Casey Vallier and former Colts wide receiver, Bill Brooks. Welcome into another installment of Know Your Foe on Colts.com. I am your host, Casey Vallier, joined as always by Colts Ring of Honor wide receiver Bill Brooks. The Colts get back at it following the tough loss to the Vikings last weekend as they host the Chargers for Monday Night Football. And to get us caught up on all things Chargers, we are joined by Daniel Popper of The Athletic. Daniel, thank you so much for the time. How you doing? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, the, the inclement weather's a little different than what you deal with in Los Angeles, but hopefully it's not too bad. We're indoors here in Indianapolis for you this weekend. Yeah, well, I will say this. It's been dropping into the 40s here at night in California, which is uh, absolutely frigid for Los <laughs> Angeles. People are wearing about 10 layers when they go out to walk their dogs. But I'm from the East Coast originally from the New York City area, so I'm a little bit used to the cold and obviously spent a lot of time in Indianapolis over my time covering the NFL, so I'll make sure I'm prepared. Well, that's good. I like I like to hear that. It's it's typical weather around here. I know these negative temperatures aren't as typical, but that's kind of what to expect here in the Midwest. Now, looking at this game on the field, the Chargers, they're locked into a playoff conversation right now. Looks like they're in if the season ended today. And the Colts are kind of trying to play spoiler with this Monday night football game. I want to start with the head coach there with the Chargers. We haven't seen Brandon Staley yet, and he's known for kind of being a little more risky of a coach. You know, he's going to go for it on a lot of fourth downs, but at times that comes with you know some territory that might come back to bite you how is that viewed with the Chargers fan base the way that he calls plays and is more aggressive yeah I think the Chargers fans really love it and and you know when you're building a new fan base it's kind of a unique situation and, and certainly you know I went through in Indianapolis 20 years ago right but in in Los Angeles they're trying to build a fan base and so they really want organizationally an exciting product right an aggressive product and you know obviously justin herbert helps with that but having a head coach who wants to play aggressively and go for it on fourth downs and put the ball in the hands of his best player and justin herbert to go win games like at the end of that arizona game when they went for two to win the game at the end like those things will help cultivate a fan base especially among young people who want to see excitement who want to see an aggressive product and so I think Chargers fans love it. I mean, there's obviously always going to be some older fans that have been rooting for the team in, in San Diego for decades. You know, I have these conversations with my father all the time um, about, you know, analytics and fourth down decision making. And there's obviously going to be a section of the fan base that just believes in old school football and believes in making more conservative decisions. But that's not who he is and that's not how he's going to be. And I think it does resonate with the fan base among some of the younger fans who want to see that aggressive product. Now, one of the guys you mentioned is Justin Herbert, definitely one of the young up-and-coming guys. He's got all the tools to be a very successful quarterback and maybe even you know a guy who we're talking about Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl and potentially a Hall of Fame caliber guy. But you look at his record, he's 23-23. and 23. He's throwing the ball at an alarming rate as far as attempts goes. I think he's first in the NFL of all time for most pass attempts through three years. Is there mm-hmm. any concern that maybe they're asking him to do too much? Well, you got to lean into the strengths of your team, right? Right. Like, ultimately, the job is to go out there and win football games. And so, you know, the big issue this year is they have not been able to run the football. And so I think it it shows good coaching that they're putting the ball in his hands because (laughs) if you continue to run the ball, bang your head against the wall for a yard, two yards, negative one yards, and set yourself up for failure, I don't think that's very good decision-making or very good process from the coaching staff. Um, You know, but with that being said, like when you get to playoff time, you have to have some, some semblance of balance in the offense. And when you're going up against the really good defenses in the NFL, if they don't respect you 
as a rushing offense, that really has a cascading effect on, on how you play offensively. And we've seen it in various games this year where when they go up against really good pass rushers, I pointed to that Raiders game a couple of weeks ago in Las Vegas where Max Crosby and Chandler Jones were just able to tee off. I mean, pin their ears back and get off the football. And a lot of that was the fact they didn't respect the Chargers running game. And so they're trying to get more of that balance. I mean, they went into this week against the Titans who play like the highest percentage of light boxes, six or fewer defenders in the box in the league. And they were like, hey, let's give our offensive line a chance to compete here against lighter boxes. And they tried to run it. I mean, they had some opportunities in the red zone. They were successful. You know, they had eight plays in the red zone, had eight rushing, you know, design rushes, and were able to get the ball in the end zone. Um, but if it's not working, you can't really lean into the rushing attack, you know. And so, you know, putting the ball in Justin's hands is what's allowed them to move the football and be somewhere close to an efficient offense at times this year. And I think we're going to continue to see that because it's the best option. Daniel, that's where I want to go. I want to go to the running game. Uh, Austin Eckler is a dangerous weapon for the Chargers, both running the ball and catching the ball out of the backfield. But as you mentioned, it seems as though it's very tough for the Chargers to get the running game going. Yeah. Why has the Chargers running game been so limited this season? Yeah, I mean, whenever you're talking about the running game, it's really hard to pinpoint one thing. I mean, you can go back and watch the film, and it's a, a missed block here by a guard. A missed block here by a tight end, a bad track by a running back here, a holding penalty here, right? And it's so it's like it's all of these different things. But you know, one area that I've seen sort of consistently be poor in the running game is their blocking on the edges at tight end. It has not been good enough, um, and part of that is their roster construction. You know, they, they went out and signed Gerald Everett to be their top tight end. He's never really been an elite blocker in the league, and he just has moments where that pops up i mean his strength is as you know a yards after catch guy he's an explosive runner um and a good receiver and that's like what's made him a quality tight end in the league but he's just his strength is not as a run blocker and so you've seen issues there their number two tight end donald parham who's shown some growth as a blocker has been out for pretty much this entire season he just got back last week off ir but he's only played in two games and then their third tight end trey mckitty who they drafted in the third round to really be that blocking guy in the offense hasn't really developed in his second season. I think they were really banking on, on him taking a big jump in terms of his blocking, and we saw moments of it last year as a rookie, but this year he's been really, really poor as a blocker. And so I think if you're going to sort of identify one real issue, it's the blocking at tight end on the edges. But I think part of it, too, is what you guys were getting at. I mean, a lot of these offensive linemen would tell you, hey, like we can't run the ball nine times in a game and be successful. Like right. We need more attempts. We need to get into a rhythm. And so if you talk to the players, there's a little bit of that feeling among the offensive linemen. And then they've had injuries on the offensive line, too. Yeah. Trey Pipkins has been in and out with an MCL sprain. Corey Lindsley, their center, who is the engine of the entire running game, has had various injuries this year, whether it was a knee injury earlier in the year. He had a severe case of food poisoning. He had a concussion that forced him to miss a game and a half. And so him being in and out has been, you know, a big part of it as well because he is, you know, an all-pro level center when he's in the game and healthy, and he just has been in and out. So, like I said, a lot, a lot of different things going on with the running game, but those are the things that I've been pointing. Now I want to move to the wideouts, Daniel. Both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams have missed some time this season due to injuries, but it seems both are getting healthy at the right time. How important is it to have both of these players healthy for the playoff push? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely essential. I mean, if, for the offense to be what they envision, they need both those guys on the field. And, and you know, like you mentioned, heading into um, the Dolphins game on Sunday night two weeks ago, their top three receivers, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, and Josh Palmer, had played just 15 snaps together Wow, the entire season. And so you're talking about a really injured 
group of receivers. You know, Mike Williams had a high ankle sprain. Keenan Allen missed like 10 weeks with a hamstring injury. When all three of those guys are on the field, the, the, the picture looks a lot different, obviously. And we've all seen what Mike Williams can do in terms of stretching the field. I think he's even more important with the injury that Jalen Guyton suffered early in the season. He was really their only speed guy, mm-hmm. their only sub-4-4 guy on the roster. And so when he went down, they had pretty much nobody to stretch the field. And you're starting to see Mike Williams do some of that now that he's back and healthy. But having both of those guys just frees things up, right? Because opposing defenses are going to have to make a decision. Do we double Keenan in the short and intermediate area of the field, or do we double Mike Williams in the deep part of the field? And when they're doubling one of those guys, the other guy typically will have single coverage, and that's where you see some of the production come from, and that's really the vision behind the passing offense. We're joined by Daniel Popper, who covers the Chargers for The Athletic. Before we switch over to the defense, I want to talk about the offensive line. You briefly mentioned the injuries, but one of the guys you didn't talk about is Rashawn Slater, the left tackle who's been out. How has his uh, essentially being out of the lineup impacted that offensive line? Right, that's a good point. He's been out for so long that I just like I stopped mentioning him. But yeah, he <laughs> suffered a... Right, he suffered a torn biceps in week three, um, and he's arguably their best run blocker. I mean, when they were really producing last year on the ground, it was a combination of Rashawn Slater and Matt Filer, their left guard on the left side. Like, that was, and then obviously Corey Lindsley as well. Like, that's where a majority of their production came. So Jamari Salyer, a rookie who they drafted in the sixth round out of Georgia, who a lot of people felt like couldn't play tackle in the league, you know, they, they inserted him in there just to see what they could get. And he's been as good as they could expect. Now, he has some limitations, obviously. Like, the reason people didn't think he could play left tackle in the league is because he's not a particularly elite athlete. He's not a very smooth mover. Like, he's very strong and stout. And so that's why people felt like he could potentially play guard in the NFL. But on the edge, he does have some weaknesses in terms of speed rushers. And I think you're seeing, you know, opposing edge rushers sort of adjust to him and really attack him with speed rushes on the edge. And they've been successful in some situations. Um, so, you know, now they're getting healthy. You know, four of their five starters heading into the season are back. But the one place where their starter is still out is that left tackle. And so, you know, the Chargers are devoting a lot of resources to that side, chipping, helping, that sort of thing, and, and hoping they can help out Jamari Salyer. But that is a weakness there, and, and you're exactly on it. That has also been, you know, a big impact to the running game this season. Now, flipping over the defensive side of the ball, they made a trade for Khalil Mack in the offseason, trying to kind of pair him up with Joey Bosa, but injuries have been essentially the, the issue for the Chargers all year long. Joey Bosa's missed an extended amount of time. So how has Mack looked in his first season? I know it's a little different because you haven't had both of those threats on both sides. Yeah, I think he's been exactly what the Chargers expected. I mean, when they traded for him, they weren't expecting for him at 31 years old to be, you know, his defensive player of the year self. Right. I don't think they had those types of, you know, grandiose expectations. I think they felt like, hey, if we can get, you know, 75, 80% of that defensive player of the year player, then that's a win for us trading a second pick. And that's what he's been. I mean, he has 47 pressures in the year, tied for 17th among edge rushers. Uh, he's got seven sacks. He's been great in the run game. He's been absolutely awesome as a locker room presence and a leader for that defense. Um, I think production-wise, you know, you haven't seen maybe what he's capable of just because teams have now been able to target, you know, all of their protection plan at stopping Khalil Mack and forcing some of these other guys, whether it's Kyle Van Noy, Chris Rumpf, Morgan Fox on the interior, to step up and create that pressure. And so you've definitely see, seen his production wane a little bit since Joey Bosa went out. Like the vision for the pass rush was to have both of those guys in there and really free up Khalil Mack to have a lot of one-on-ones. That hasn't necessarily happened. They tried moving him around, you know, putting him on the interior and passing situations to try and, 
you know, engineer some one-on-ones. But I think he's been excellent this season. I think it was a good trade, and, and it's especially important because, you know, if they had lost Joey Bosa and not traded for Clomac, right. they really would have been out like an elite pass rusher, and I think that's been a big factor in how they've been able to sort of build this defense over the course of the season and have them play really well over these last two weeks as they head towards the playoffs. Now, Daniel, another person the Chargers added to the defense this offseason was corner J.C. Jackson. Now, he got off to a rough start at the beginning of the year with injuries and being benched during a game. And unfortunately, he will miss the remaining of the season due to injury. But was his early struggles a cause for concern for the Chargers? I don't know if it was like a massive concern. You know, obviously, there's a little bit of a scheme adjustment there. You know, J.C. was playing almost exclusively man coverage when he played for the Patriots. Yes. And he was being asked to do a little bit more in Brandon Staley's scheme, whether that was dropping deep in cover three, playing more off coverage, playing more zone. And so it was, you know, Brandon Staley often talks about the discovery phase of the season. And so I think that's what was going on with J.C. He missed, you know, some time with after, after ankle surgery, minor ankle, minor ankle surgery. And he was sort of, you know, finding his way there. He got benched in week six, and then week seven is when he you know, tore his patellar tendon. And so his season was over, and I don't think we ever saw him really find his footing and comfort in the defense, but I will tell you this, Michael Davis is the guy who's replaced J.C. Jackson. He's been excellent, like absolutely excellent, especially over the last, you know, three weeks or so. I mean, he was the biggest reason why they were able to shut down the Dolphins' offense. I mean, he's really found sort of his role in the defense, and they're going to press him up at the line of scrimmage. He's going to get really physical with these receivers and use his length and his speed, he's a 4-3 guy, he's 6-2, used both of those things to press the line of scrimmage and really caught spits for opposing wide receivers. So I think that's sort of been a blessing in disguise there that obviously they were expecting big things from J.C. Jackson, but with him out, Michael Davis, a former undrafted free agent, has really stepped up and been like an elite corner in my mind over the last three, four weeks. Now another player that has been playing well for the Chargers is uh, Durbin James, who signed a big extension this past summer, but he has missed the last two games due to injury. Now, with him possibly being able to play this week, what does his presence do for the Chargers defense when he's in the lineup? Yeah, it just allows them to be more multiple. I mean, at at the crux of it, right, like you're getting an elite playmaker back, a guy who's going to come up and be able to go get the football. But on a more broader level, schematically, like it allows them to be more multiple because Derwin James plays six different positions in the defense. He (laughs) plays weak side safety, strong side safety. He plays money in their dime packages, which is like a safety linebacker hybrid. He plays in the slot as a nickel corner. He plays, you know, on the edge as an edge rusher. He'll play on the edge and, and six one fronts. So I mean he does pretty much everything you can ask the defensive football player to do on the field outside of playing defensive tackle. And so you know, Brand Tilly's built the entire defense around that premise, moving Derwin around and forcing quarterbacks to identify him pre snap and all of these different packages. Um, the interesting part is while he's been out, they sort of simplified the personnel groupings, and that's led to you know, better overall defensive play. They've been more connected on the back end. They've been playing better in coverage. They've been playing better in run defense. So I'm curious to see if they really lean back into all of those different multiple personnel packages when Derwin comes back or if they sort of maintain this level of simplicity that sort of led to some of the, the improvements. But you know, the big thing with Derwin is the playmaking and then being able to move all over the field and play a bunch of different positions. Now, final thing with Daniel Popper, covers the Chargers for The Athletic. What are the expectations for what this team can expect to do when playoff football rolls around? Yeah, I think the expectations are high, Um, you know, especially if they can continue to get pieces back. You know, the offense is starting to be as healthy as it's been all season. You know, they're still expecting to have Joey Bosa back for multiple regular season games. 
that's sort of still up in the air. I mean, it's every single day we're asking about it, and it seems imminent, but we'll see how many games he ends up playing. But they're certainly expecting to have Joey back for the playoffs. They're still keeping the door open for potentially having Rashawn Slater back for the postseason if they do get there. And so you're looking at a team that has a really good quarterback that is starting to play really good defense and is starting to get healthy at the right time, and that's usually a really good combination. Yeah. Like. Doesn't really matter how you're playing in the first half of the season. I mean, exactly. how many times have the Patriots got off the slow starts, <laughs> turned it on the second half, and gone on to win the Super Bowl? And so I think there's a lot of optimism internally, like, hey, we're getting healthy and we're starting to play well. And that really is a positive in terms of how we're heading into the playoffs. And they really think that they're going to be playing their best football come postseason time. Well, there you go. Daniel Popper covers the Chargers for the Athletic. We'll see what happens on Monday Night Football as the Chargers come to town. But, Daniel, thank you so much, and enjoy the game on Monday. Thanks for having me, guys. The Colts are back in the friendly confines of Lucas Oil Stadium on Monday night as they host the Los Angeles Chargers for Monday Night Football. Next week, they're going to travel out to the East Coast to take on the New York Giants on New Year's Day, and we are going to talk with Dan Dugan, who covers the Giants for the Athletic. But before that, it's the Colts and Chargers on Monday Night Football. For Bill Brooks, I'm Casey Vallier. Enjoy the game, and go Colts! Go Colts!